Juggling motherhood and modern day life can be stressful and relentless, but it doesn't need to be this way. The Joy of Being podcast is the answer to maternal mental health, bringing sustainable relief and calm to hardworking mums everywhere so that you, your family and work can thrive. My name's Marina Pearson and I'm your host, transformational coach and mum who loves to interview business owners, transformational professionals and creatives to have insightful conversations about what it takes to really live a life that is thriving, fulfilling and full of joy. And today I've got some amazing news. You can now order your very own version of the Joy of Being book, supporting hardworking mums to stress less and live more. If you're the type of mum who is struggling with the burdens of motherhood or modern day life, then this will be a perfect book for you. If you're curious, you want to know more and you want to see what's up with that book, you can do so at www.marinapearson.com slash book. So on today's show, I'm interviewing the wonderful Bill Pettit. I reached out to Bill uh, back in April and we only managed to get a date in the diary three to four months later. But I was very persistent because I know how impactful Bill and his work is. Every time I listen to Bill, I always fall into a beautiful feeling and usually just end up having multiple insights. And I was lucky enough to get onto his mind-body connection course where we realized how thought plays out in terms of loads of chronic illnesses like chronic fatigue, um, fibromyalgia, to even really bad PMS. And his wealth of knowledge is beyond. So he has been a practicing psychiatrist for the last 35 years. And for 26 of those was mentored closely by Sydney Banks, who I mentioned and who is mentioned in quite a lot of the episodes here. He is a board certified in psychiatry and holds an MD from University of Illinois, College of Medicine and a BA from Creighton University and has been previously board certified in mind-body medicine and twice certified in addiction medicine. Presently holds an appointment as Associate Clinical Professor in the Department of Psychiatry at Creighton University School of Medicine. And he also served as a physician in the United States Navy for nine years. He's also been a student of the Three Principles, and he now lives in Arizona with his beautiful wife, Linda, and practices psychiatry two mornings a week and devoting the rest of his time and energy sharing the three principles through as many avenues as possible. And as I said, I was super excited to have him on here today to talk about the one cure for all mental illness or one cure for mental health. It was just a really insightful, beautiful conversation. So if you know of anybody that is suffering from depression Ah, chronic fatigue, anything with regards to any kind of major symptoms in the body, schizophrenia, bipolar, anything that may be categorized as mental illness, then this is going to be an amazing episode for you. Enjoy. So welcome everybody. And today's show, I have Dr. Bill Pettit. I'm, uh, I met Bill uh, recently at the 3PGC conference, but I also listened to a lot of his recordings beforehand. And every time I do listen to him, there is something so deep and profound that I hear for myself that I felt that it was really important to bring him on, not only from his own experience, but also just the way he sees life and um, from a psychiatry point of view and all of the amazing stuff that he's done in his life. So I'm really honored to have you here today, Bill. Thank you for coming. Well, it's, it's nice to be here. You know, here. It's amazing, isn't it, that you're there in Spain and I'm here in Phoenix, Arizona and the United States, and we're looking at each other as if we're next door, you know. I know, it's crazy. Thank God yeah. for technology, right? 
Yeah, I mean, amazing. You know, here we can do this, but we can't stop killing each other or or killing ourselves or arguing or, you know, there's something wrong, isn't it? There's something, <laughs> there's something. We're, we're taking pictures from billions of years ago, and we're taking pictures of the 400,000 galaxies with over 100,000 uh, stars in each one, and, and we can't get along. Something We need a new level of thinking and understanding. Oh. That's such a really and crazy like point of view, and it's so true, isn't it? So I really want to start with how you got into what you do, and and really what your story is behind that, and what you've seen in terms of some of the stories that you share are so impactful that that would be really quite something to talk about. Oh, I'm glad to do that, Marina. You know, and, and right off the bat, oh, first of all, I'm, I'm a psychiatrist. I'm 77 years old, and I feel younger and more alive mentally, spiritually inside than I did when I was 40. You look amazing, by the way. Thank you. You know, thank you. I really, I feel amazing. I took my 30-minute uh, bike ride, or 20-minute bike ride this morning. I'm going to do 15 or 20 minutes of weights uh, later today. I do that four times a week. And uh, I feel very blessed. But I know that uh, I know that had I not learned this, there's no way that I'd be alive at 77 and a half. So why alone. is that? Why is that? Why do you say that? Okay, okay. But I've learned to live in, in peace. I've learned, learned to live, as Mr. Banks says, in the only thing that exists, the present moment. It's the only thing that exists. He said, you know... Uh, and do people have the awareness of Mr. Banks or not? Or most of them, some of them don't, some of them do? Some of them do. Some of the episodes do, some of them don't. But I talk about it in, in quite a few of my own little episodes and little rants. So, but share what you, whatever you want from your heart, Bill. And that, you know, anybody well, that's listening to this podcast, might this might be the first episode. So Yeah, and it's vital to my story. Otherwise, it, it won't well, make much sense. <laughs> so... I'd ask people to write down, and may, or maybe you to send them, make sure that you have it available. The, the website, um, there's two websites, but the one website would be um, www.sydbanks.com. Then that, that is a website put up by my uh, friend who's the uh, owner and CEO of, of uh, Lone Pine Publishing, uh, Shane Kennedy. And he has made um, Mr. Banks's videos available uh, worldwide for free, you know, on that website. Um, and you, if you go to the website, it'll, circles will come up, watch, listen, read. And it has, you know, under watch, if you hit that, it'll have three sets of videos that are all about 30 to 40 minutes long. Um, and uh, and it's, I will say this, even as I start my story, Mr. Banks had a, a profound experience at age 43. Uh, he was a welder, Scottish-born, uh, married, father of two, uh, who had been a welder for 14 years in a pulp mill and and uh, on Vancouver Island, and and he was hit by enlightenment. He wasn't looking for it. He he all he wanted to do was stop arguing with his wife. You know that's all he wanted to do. And and he suddenly had this profound experience um, that lasted for three days and 
and culminated in a few seconds that he describes on one of the videotapes of, of, of a buzzing sound and, and being surrounded by a white light, after which he said to his somewhat startled wife, I've seen what people call God is, I've seen what life is, and I've seen how the two are connected. I'm home free. I have conquered this world. And he later even said that he had had the death experience, and there's absolutely nothing to fear. We are unconditionally loved and can do no wrong. Those go against a lot of people's beliefs, but that's I'm not asking anybody to believe anything I say today. Like Mr. Banks says, um, it's one thing to be a believer, and it's another thing to be a listener. Don't be a believer. Don't believe anything I say just because I've said it. Because then you've given up your right to think as, an, as a free individual. On the other hand, there's nothing wrong with listening. Listening quietly and listening to be impacted and listening to see something beyond your uh, set of beliefs that you have right now. I, I always tell people, Marina, that the brain, the computer, which is different from the mind, your brain is a is a, it's like a computer it's biological and it's not your enemy for 41 years i did battle with it yeah. it's not your enemy it's just a computer with incomplete information it's all it is whatever you put in it it's got it stored and if you grew up in bangladesh you're going to have different different stuff in your computer than if you were born in rural Iowa or inner city New York. I, I talked to a man from the Middle East recently, and he said he was MBA. And I said, MBA, you know, I, I think of Masters in Business Association. <laughs> said, no, he said Muslim by accident. <laughs> and, and I said, oh, that's fine, because I was Catholic by accident, and I have friends that were Hindu by accident, and others that were Jewish by accident, and others that were and it's not just religion, it's politics, it's everything. We all get a starter kit. And some people go through the rest of their life until they die with their starter kit. And I would encourage people not to do that. I would encourage people not to throw it away, but to, as as questions come up, to to just listen inside and and you'll you'll keep what's true and helpful and and um and discard what isn't or readjust it. So um, so what happened for me? So Mr. Banks, by the way, after he said that to his startled wife, he said, do you know what this means? And he, this is all on, on uh, the Long Beach videos. He, and his wife said, what does it mean, Sid? Now, she admitted she was somewhat frightened by the words. I mean, this man was on a week vacation from his welding job. And he was going back to his welding job on Monday, the next day. You can imagine as a wife, Marina, and your husband says this, or vice versa. And she said at the same time that the words were unsettling, he looked calmer and more peaceful, and his eyes looked clearer than any human being she'd ever witnessed in her life. And so she said, Sid, what does this mean? And Sid, at that point, said the following. That's a welder with a ninth grade education who's read three welding books. And he went to school to the ninth grade. 
He said, well, number one, I'm going to be writing books. <laughs> he wrote and published six books and left four uh, almost complete manuscripts that are still being finished. Number two, he said, um, psychiatrists, me being one of them, and psychologists from all over the world are going to seek me out and ask me to teach them what I've seen because they or their followers will eventually, the, their students will eventually change the fields of psychiatry and psychology from mental illness field to a true mental health field where people will awaken their mental well-being that's spiritual, that's inside and can never be broken, not even scratched. Number three, he said to his wife, you and I will be traveling because I will be asked to speak at colleges and universities, not only in Canada, but in the United States and eventually in Europe. <laughs> now, you, can you imagine his wife? <laughs> and it all came true, Marina. I know it did. In fact, he was a consultant to the medical school where I taught for 10 years at West Virginia University. He was a paid consultant for nearly 10 years. He was twice nominated for the International uh, Sir John Templeton International Spirituality Prize. He was called as a consultant to the U.S. Navy. He was called as a consultant to John Hopkins. Um, he taught one time at a defense contractor that had a three principles person there. Eight PhD physicists asked, went to the training director, who's a friend of mine, and I've got it, this on video, him telling about this, and said, please have Mr. Banks come here. We want him to talk to us. These are PhD physicists from MIT. Sid talked to them for three days and ended up talking them about physics. And they asked him to hire him back for three more days. I think there was actually a third three days. So something happened to this man. It's very profound. So anybody that wants to discount it, um, that's fine. But I would encourage you to listen because I will tell you, it transformed my life from a life of torment, mental torment, a good part of the time, to an incrementally more joyful, loving experience of life than I could have ever made up in my dreams. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, I, I, I haven't been on this journey for as long, but so far, so good. <laughs> um, I really resonate with your story because I had years of depression and suicidal ideation as well. Um, during my teens, during my early 20s, and then it, it reared its ugly head again in my early 30s. And I believed that what I was seeing was true. It was really real to me. Um, and since about six years ago, a lot of that thinking that I had, the stress, the anxiety, has all fallen away. I mean, yes, it comes up to meet me now and again, but not in the same way as it used to. So I, I really resonate with what you're saying. Good. So I would uh, would recommend to people that are listening to, at the minimum, uh, go to the that website. There's also a Sydney S Y D N E Y uh, Banks dot org website, which was Sid's website before he passed. And there's still some materials and 
and some small videos on that uh, from Sid himself. But Sid's videos on, on there's the uh, the Long Beach videos, the Washington lectures, and the Hawaii lectures. And Mr. Banks had, it, and I'll get to my experience real, real quick here. But in uh, Mr. Banks had his experience at the age of 43 in 1973, and he uh, refused to be videotaped until the year 2000. He had been audio taped, but he refused to be videotaped because he did not want followers. He said, I will talk to clergy. I will talk to doctors. I will talk to educators. I will talk to mental health professionals. And I, and I, you know, he started writing books in 90, uh, 1988, I guess the first one, but he said, I, he refused to be videotaped and it took, it took us sitting down with him and saying, you know, Sid, we understand that you don't want followers, but you're not going to live forever. You're 70 years old. Please let us bring some people together and let us videotape you. So we have something for posterity after you're gone. So whenever people get concerned that this is a cult, I go, what cult leader do you know refuses to be videotaped for 27 years because he doesn't want followers? <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. Anyway, so so fat, go backwards on April Fool's Day, 1983. <laughs> I did not know that. Oh, it's so perfect. It's so perfect. I had met Dr. Pransky, George Pransky, on January 1st, and that's a whole story. And we'd become friends. And and uh, and I knew that he knew something. And he told me that there was this man from Canada that had transformed his life from one of anxiety and and his marriage. It transformed his marriage. And he said, would you come and listen to him? He's going to come to San Francisco. There were over 200 people there, I think. And, and this is April Fool's Day, 1983, 36 years ago. And I sat there in Marina within... 15 minutes, I knew that this welder with a ninth grade education knew at least a thousand times more about mental health than I did. Wow. I was 41 years old. I had 26 and a half years of formal education. He had nine. I'd been in psychiatry 10 years. I had over 800 lectures in psychiatry on mental illness and medications. I had had zero lectures on mental health. And yet when I became board certified in psychiatry, did they label me a mental illness professional? Which is what I was. That's what I knew about. No, they said I was a mental health professional even though I had not had one lecture in five years of residency on mental health. That's a little bit crazy. Yeah. I, I, sorry, I'm just really touched by what you've just said. That's okay. It's okay. I had been going in and out of clinical depression for 20 years, anybody that's out there thinking that I'm talking from some ivory tower, I'm not. I'm talking from a human being who 
had his own journey, which we all have, to try to get back home to our own spiritual identity from which we came. I'd been going in and out of clinical depression periodically for 20 years. I'd never been hospitalized. I'd had suicidal thoughts and came very close to acting on them a couple of times. Um, I had seen six different psychiatrists, and they were good human beings who tried and helped me through very difficult times that allowed me to get through um, my schooling, my college, my medical school, my residency, uh, difficult times in my life. But they did not know what Mr. Banks knew. They didn't know. They didn't know that we are perfectly mentally healthy inside, but for what we do with God's gift of thought. And if people don't like um, the word God, then they can use Dave or Fred or Curly or Mo or Larry. I don't care. But there's some kind, even David Bohm, the famous quantum physicist said, you know, there is consciousness existed before any form. So physicist, consciousness existed before any form, before any matter. Even the physicists are acknowledging there was something there, there's something formless, a formless intelligent energy, whatever you want to call that, that it was there long before the Big Bang 13.8 billion years ago. And it's still there, and it's manifested in everything. Everything is made of that energy, including us. There's a oneness. And I don't go around, I mean, trying to remind myself of that. It's just, it kind of jumps out at me more and more and more. Um, I've got a kitty that's, that's in kitty years over 112, I think, or 115. It's like 20 to 21 years old now. And it's been really upset recently. My wife, Linda, is off writing for about two weeks. And I originally thought it was that, but I think it's it's gotten very, very blind. I saw it kind of gently running into corners and uh, running into things. And and uh, it's kind of been, it's misses being in her lap too, but I think it, it the combination of her being away and I've tried to, to just be with it and, um, and, and be calm with it and pet it. And uh, it seems to get reassured. But I say that only because you start realizing we're connected to everything, you know? And um, so I was sitting there and within about 10, 15 minutes, and I had been going in and out of clinical depression for 21 years. And I suddenly, I, at, at, at some point, I started to realize that I had been doing, is, it, is this just an audio or is it a video podcast too? It's a, it's an audio, but um, I, I'm thinking about using the video. So okay. Well, I'll tell people what I'm doing. What I realized I was doing about six to nine hours a day was hitting myself in the head metaphorically with the gift of thought and then wondering why at the end of the day I had another right-sided headache. Um, The studies have shown from the late 1980s what they call um, activation studies where they hook people up to PET scanners or fMRIs, and they 
they get a baseline and then they ask them to think upsetting thoughts for three minutes. And it could be as simple as remembering when a grandmother died or remembering when your first pet got ran over by a car or these were not people that had been sexually abused. They were not combat injured soldiers. And all of the people within three minutes of upsetting thinking activate the stress response in their body that is meant to be activated uh, when faced with a life-threatening situation. And it's meant to be activated for a maximum of 30 minutes once every one to three days. Uh, if it's activated more than that, it starts to do biochemical and neurological, and it actually kills brain cells, and their circuitry in the brain gets affected so that the connections between different parts of the brain are uh, go from four-lane highways to, to, uh, to um, uh, gravel roads with potholes. And what I realized was that I had been doing that for six to nine hours a day for at least 20 years, and then wondering why I felt like crap. I had been innocently, innocently, and it's important for me, Marina, for people to hear that word, innocently, to not blame themselves, because we're always doing the best we know how to do. Every moment of our life, we're doing the best we know how to do in that moment, or we would be doing better. And every moment is a second chance. I can't undo what I did 30 seconds ago. I can apologize for it. I can make amends. I can't undo what somebody did to me. No, I have very little control over that sometimes or said to me. But I do have control over my mental well-being, and I did not know that. I thought that my mental well-being was, was taken away by external events and people and things people did and said and all that. And when you think about that, that is the prevailing model right now. We're, we're victims of, of people, places, and things. And the metaphor that comes to my mind is, is that I realized that for the 40, first 41 years of my life, I innocently handed out strings to people like Pinocchio. Hmm. And then when people decided to pull the strings at their level of understanding and consciousness, then I did my little dances, my anger dance and my scary dance and my upset dance and my sad dance. And, and, I, and I was at the mercy. And I had no idea that I was creating the strings. And one by one over the last... 36 years, incrementally, just by listening, by reading Mr. Banks' books, which I encourage everybody to read at least twice through, all six of them. I do, gently. If it's five pages at a time, it's, it's not about speed. It's, I would, it's about direction. Sure. If people, people can see that, that it's not about perfection either. Mr. Banks always said, do not seek perfection. You will fail miserably. Just seek to live in the present moment with as much love and understanding as you can right now. And with that intention, that feeling that comes from being in the present moment will continue to, 
to incrementally carry you forward without effort, without effort. But if you try to, to see more, you're going to use your, try to do it with your intellect and you're going to fail miserably, hmm. fail miserably. Does that, does that resonate? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I used to be, so, I was talking to somebody out the other day about this. Um, I used to be a massive slave driver, you know, like you decide that you're going to run your own business. And I had such a horrible boss. <laughs> She was so mean. She made me work a lot and and drive me insane to the point where I was working 60-hour days. I mean, 60-hour weeks. And I'm like... And the boss was you? Yeah, of course. She's not nicer now. Like, takes me for walks and walks in nature. And um, I work a little bit here and there, but I never knew that living this way was actually possible. I never, I mean, it, it, like even, even when I think about where I was even a month ago to yeah. where I am today, yeah. like, uh, there is just, you never know when that insight's going to hit. You never know when you're going to hear something and you never know what's going to happen as a result of that. Like what, how, yeah. how, how are you, how you will show up in your life and what we present it to you. I mean, you just don't know, right? So it is a magical journey, this thing that we call life, I think. It is. It's mystical and it's a mystery. And yeah. it says, as soon as you just realize it's a mystery, then you join the mystery. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. It is. But it's so simple. We, we want to make it complicated. And, and Sid always said, he said, when the answer is simple, it's the spirit. When the answer is complex, it's the intellect. I love that distinction. (laughs) So true. True, isn't it? So, so I always, you've probably heard me kiddingly say on my, uh, on some of my lectures that I was from a family of six. I was the second oldest. I have an older sister and, um, I got spanked um, a lot of times. My dad was not abusive. I earned every one of them. <laughs> back in those days, you know, 60, 70 years ago. And what's, a, what's wonderful is that I have a brother who's my dear friend now. I have two brothers, but my, young, my closest brother is three years younger than I. He's 74. He's just a wonderful man. And he never got spanked. And at family reunions, people always ask him how, how that was. And he said, well, it's really not rocket science. He said, I watched what Bill did and I didn't do it. You know, it's really simple. So, <laughs> but I, I tell that for a reason because I, I still have my mischievousness, but, um, really? but it's usually know. done in, you've never, you would have never guessed it, right? Never. Not in my <laughs> So I'm going to read from for any of that has the missing link, which is a wonderful little book. And it's the only one of Mr. Banks's six books that's not a, that doesn't teach through a short story of 140 to 188 pages is Dear Liza to 150 pages. But this book is just quote, it's quotes and it's so powerful that it has to have spaces in between. So I'm going to read just three short paragraphs. It says on page 106, 
it, first of all, I'm going to tell you what I read when I'm in a group and I choose, I say, I'll take this page. Okay. This is my therapy group. Now here's what I read. It's not what's in the book, but this is my mischievousness, but it also has a point. I say, if your thoughts wander onto a negative and rocky path, fight them like hell. Distract yourself in any way you can. Try really hard to think positive thoughts. Well, people raise their hand and they go, wait, wait, wait. And I say, well, what's wrong? What, what, what you, what's wrong? They say, well, that's not what our, my book says. <laughs> Somebody else says, mine either. And I say, well, John, I must have a, either a later or a newer edition. Let me see which one I have. I say, what, I'm curious, what does your book say? And they say, well, my book says, if your thoughts wander onto a negative and rocky path, don't take them too seriously. Hmm. And I go, wow, shit, that sounds a lot easier. <laughs> than so one of them always comes up and grabs my book, Marina, says, his book says the same thing. <laughs> so I tell them the reason I said that was a little bit mischievous, but the other reason is because that's what I did for 41 years. When my brain spit out some thought that was unwanted, I thought I had to fight it like hell, distract myself in some way, or try really hard to think positive thoughts, whether it was an inappropriate sexual thought, an inappropriate aggressive thought, whatever it was, sad thought, depressing thought. And I didn't know that all I had to do was leave it the hell alone. Mm -hmm. It would go down river like, like the stream is always moving. Mm -hmm. Refrain from analyzing because I guarantee you, you will analyze yourself forever. <laughs> Never reaching an end. I laugh because I, I see myself in that. <laughs> oh, I think you the answer in that one. Yes. Yeah, I, I think I'm close. I'm, I'm a little bit and fail bitterly to find peace of mind. Let your negative thoughts go. They are nothing more than passing thoughts. You are then on your way to finding the peace of mind that you seek, having healthier feelings for yourself and for others. I'm going to grab a, a book. It's going to take me less than 30 seconds, um, but I, it's something I want to read from it. Have you seen or aware of the book of poetry that my late wife, Sue, wrote? No, I'm actually aware of the book, but I, I haven't actually read It's it. online. It's on Amazon now. And uh, I will tell you, it's powerful. It was written, we were married 31 years from 1969 to 2000. And in truth, we were actually apart and divorced for three years because we loved each other, but we did not have any level of understanding to where we knew how to live with people who were living in separate worlds. And we're all living in separate worlds. And we didn't have, know how to stay in a good feeling and listen to each other and understand more. In 1984, 1984, uh, Linda, I mean, Sue and I had been back together. She passed away in 2000 of cancer, uh, coming up on 19 years in October already. But I'm just, I won't say t too much about this, but I want to read one poem because I think it would be really hit home. It, the book is called Coming Home Poetry, a collection by Sue Pettit. 
And it was written, what's amazing about this is this book of 65 pages of rhymed poetry and iambic pentameter, she wrote over a weekend. Wow. We had adopted our second little girl who's just wonderful. And uh, she was half Puerto Rican and half Irish. She's just gorgeous and she's funny. I have to make sure I have an empty bladder if I'm going to call her on the phone. She is <laughs> funny. And uh, we, we got her when she was two weeks old. And, um, and my wife, uh, uh, Sue, was so filled with gratitude. We had, a, we had adopted a child after seven years of marriage. Then she got pregnant, had our son. Seven years had gone by, uh, and we we adopted the. And then at forty one, she became pregnant with our youngest, uh, who who um, is out in uh, in doesn't matter where she is. She's in California uh, working now, but actually she's coming to London next week uh, for a conference. She's a data analyst for uh, Netflix. But anyway, so she wrote this book of poetry. And so I, I came upon these, this pile of papers about halfway through the weekend. And I said, cause she had, to, we had this new little baby that was just a week old. And I said, Susan, what's going on with these papers? I looked at them and she said, well, I, I don't know. And I said, what do you mean you don't know? She said, well, I, I'm not writing this. Hmm. And I said, well, who's writing it? She said, well, it's not me. I said, what do you mean? She said, I'm telling you, Bill, this, I, I don't know what's coming out until it takes form on the page. So the title poem is called Coming Home. Coming home to peace and quiet, coming home to feelings warm, coming home where there's a fullness, where love in me is born. Coming home's a simple journey, takes no movement on my part. Instead of listening to my thoughts, I listen with my heart. But as you were talking, the one that came to me is called the search, because I think a lot of people can identify, and you can see it's a number of stanzas, but not too many. Take a, a couple of minutes, a minute and a half, maybe. That, that we've searched, people search for themselves, right? Doctor, you've listened, I'm sure, to Dr. George Pransky. He's very funny. He's a good friend. And I'm going to visit him next weekend. We're going to a football game, actually, in uh, Seattle. But he's very funny. He People in the 80s, uh, uh, it was a big thing when people were searching for themselves. So they'd come and say, I've got to find myself, George. And he could pull this off with a straight face, Marina. He would, with a straight face, he'd say, well, well, when is the last time you saw yourself? And, and do you know, can you tell me what direction you were heading? So we can look that to find you, you know, I mean, and, but he wouldn't even smile. He, I couldn't do it. He could. Yeah. Anyway, the search here's, here's the poem. It's three, five, eight stanzas, eight, four line stanzas from all the articles that I read. I got this notion in my head. I have to find myself. I said, and started on my search. See if, People out there don't identify with this. This search for me has taken years. It's cost me friendships, time, and tears. I've searched through all my pain and fears. Where did I lose myself? The search was my reality. How could I stop till I found me? I longed for my identity. But do you know what I discovered? The searching was inside of me, comparing me with all I'd see. Fueled by my insecurity, 
and triggered by my thoughts. The search was just inside my brain. It took such effort, toil, and strain, it often drove me quite insane, this looking for myself. The next two lines to me are two of the most powerful lines in English literature. So I stopped the search and lived the day and found myself along the way. I let my feelings lead today. Life's much more simple now. I've cleared self-help books off my shelf. She did. She threw them all in the trash. And I said, shouldn't we take them to the library? And she said, are you kidding me? Have they helped us? I said, no. She said, then they're going in the trash. We're not going to make people look at these things. I said, oh, that makes sense. That was 1984, right? I've started listening to myself. I found my reservoir of wealth of common sense inside. The search for me is done today. I never really went astray. I'm throwing troubled thoughts away. Without them, here I am. I remember um, the first thing that I saw of the principles, or it was a was a was Sid's um, quote. Oh, I'm going to bastardize this, uh, but it's okay. It's okay. Says, and in this game of life, we all search for ourselves. And then when you talked about the self, it wasn't sort of the me that we think it is. It's the thing that created life in the first place. Right. And our connection to it. Yeah. Our connection to it. And it really struck me that all of the searching for money, clients, um, was just me getting lost in my own head. And in actual fact, what I was searching for was, was peace that was already inside of me anyway. Exactly. Hmm. Yeah. I love the, um, have you read Second Chance? Yes, I have. Yeah. And do you remember the question at the end of the first, maybe it's not fair to ask, but do you remember the question at the end of the first chapter? Are you testing me? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I, I've asked this to- I'm not going to pass. <laughs> I, I've asked this to people that have been 25 years in the, in, uh, and they most vast majority of them say, no, I have no idea. What yeah. <laughs> so at the end of the first chapter in Second Chance, there's a question, the man who, and that, that is the only book, by the way, of the five stories that I know of that T Sid told me was actually um, inspired by a true experience, that after Sid's wife passed away um, uh, suddenly of a, of a brain aneurysm in 1986, December 27th, a wealthy man allowed him to um, have his uh, and his wife allowed them to have uh, their uh, um, a um, place in Maui for at least a year. I don't know how long it was. And he was down on the beach one day and this man came up and, and who, who was, had been told he had a terminal illness, et cetera. And uh, his wife had died in a car accident. I'm sure change, Sid changed a lot of the details so he couldn't be identified, but but it is based on a true story. And um, in that story, uh, at the end of the first chapter, the man who's been told he has six months to two years to live says, what is your definition of success? You remember that question or no? Yeah, sort of. resonating yeah. with me right now. Okay. And here's the deal. Uh, I'll tell you the answer in a moment. But I had read that in 1988, this was the only book we had. I was buying them 60 uh, boxes of 60 at a time. 
with my very busy psychiatric practice. And I read this one for, I, it was the only book we had. So whenever I got a little lost, I would read Second Chance. And this was the fourth time I'd read it. And at the end of it, he, and, the, and so at the end of the first chapter, Richard says to Jonathan, what is your definition of success? And Jonathan looks out to the sea and he uh, Sid, the Sid character, and he said, simple, happiness and contentment. And Richard said, is, is that all? And Jonathan says, uh, yes, isn't that enough? Now, I had not, I had read that book, Marina, three previous times. I must not have been ready to hear that yet because it did not exist in my conscious memory until the fourth time. And I, there's, a, there's a Hawaii tape. He, Sid won't, doesn't mention me. He doesn't rat me out. And I told him he could rat me out any time. But he talks about what happened. So I call Sid up in, in Salt Spring. And I say, Sid, I love this new edition of Second Chance. This is really great. That's, he says, what are you talking about? I said that where you put in that question about success at the end of the first chapter, I think it's brilliant. He started laughing hysterically hysterically, Marina. And I finally, I said, Mr. Banks, pardon me, but what is so damn fun? What is so funny? He said, Bill, I haven't added, subtracted, or changed one word in that book since it was written. I, went, I wasn't ready to hear that. And once I was, I started to go in that direction. That could, to me, people say, well, if you're happy and contented, won't you just sit around, you know, thinking about your navel? <laughs> and that's just not true because when people are happy and contented, they have all their resources and their gifts, unique gifts that they've been given to be creative, productive, and loving, to give and receive love without fear, without investment, and life becomes joyful. joyful. I know. <laughs> yeah, I know you know. And so I would... What I, we said that, and I'm aware of the time. So yeah. I would, I want to tell you that suicidal ideation, this is going to, it's a gift. Mm. It's a gift because we, we are constantly getting information from, from a number of sources. When we start going away from ourselves, from our true self, from our place of love, from our place of joy, our mood starts to go down. Our tension level starts to go up. We start to get some physical discomfort somewhere in our body, pain or skin eruption or bowel or headache or something. And if we don't respond, if we don't quit our stewing and fretting, um, then then we start having sleep disturbance. And eventually we start losing our attention and our memory and we're misplacing our keys and our cell phone and we're missing appointments and and, and and our anxiety gets worse. We start having panic attacks, and our our we now we're not only our mood is not only down, but we get irritable. And there's a progression. It's it's like the child that tries to get the parent's attention by talking louder and louder and louder until it screams out, "Mommy or Daddy." It's trying to get our attention, but if we're not listening. We keep, we keep thinking, oh, my God, it's getting worse. And then we have more thoughts about that, and, and it gets into a vicious cycle. And understanding these three principles of mind, thought, and consciousness will effortlessly and incrementally free people 
back to their own true nature as a as a spiritual loving human being and the key is gratitude mm-hmm. I had one lady who came in to me and for a third visit and she said she was feeling wonderful. And I, then I proceeded and I'm going to shorten this, but I said, how much time are you feeling good? She said, Oh, 10% of the time. I said, what about the other 90? Oh, so I'm terribly depressed and I feel horrible. But I said, you just said you're feeling wonderful. She said, I am. And, and she looked at me like I had a mental problem. And she said, doctor, when I came to see you, I told you over the last 15 to 20 years, I have felt good about one-tenth of 1% of every day. So in two visits to you, this being my third, I have moved from one-tenth of 1% to 10%. That is a hundred-fold increase. If I had that in the stock market, I'd be a billionaire in no time. (laughs) So here she was feeling good 10% of the time, Marina, but she was filled with gratitude for that 10%. And that gratitude carried her to 15, to 20, to 30, to 40. Gratitude rather than judgment. We have a choice moment to moment of being grateful for what we've seen or judging ourselves for what we haven't seen. That's so beautiful. And, and, it kind of brings me back to something you said, and I, and it might be from the missing link, it might be, okay. where it was that uh, gratitude is like sun to mold or sun to, it doesn't help it grow. Yeah, it's actually from the Enlightened Gardener, and I will send you a couple of pages. Yeah, it, it, he says that, that um, he says, seriousness and discomfort is to mental illness as damp and dark is to fungus. But love and lightheartedness is to mental illness as sunlight and dry is to fungus. It eradicates. Yeah. yeah, Every time I hear that, I just get goosebumps. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And we're all going to get psychological viruses. It's as it's, it's natural as being human. But it's one thing to have a virus for a couple of days or even an, uh, 15 minutes. And it's another thing to have a virus for 40 years. And what Sid says, he, we have virus detector. And the virus detector is our feeling level. Hmm. And if our feeling level goes down or our level of tension goes up, it's real simple. It just means... It's not the time to try to use your intellect because you're going to make things worse. See, people say, so what do you do? I say, I just do the best I can. I go, whether I'm folding clothes or putting things in the dishwasher, I I stay in the present and let my brain, thank my brain for sharing its comments. (laughs) Thank you very much. Moving on. Next. Next. Yeah. Well, now I did not even not not even next because that's giving an attention. It'll do that, but I just stay in the present and as best as I can. And the feeling level it will come back every time, every time because it our our feeling level is like a cork. It takes a lot of energy to push it down. That's why people get fatigued. <laughs> But all if you let go of it and get in the present, the cork's home is back on the surface. Our mental well-being's home, 
a default setting is on the surface. I kiddingly tell people we've got cork in our butt. <laughs> if people like life preserver, uh, that's fine. But you can pull yourself down even if you have life preserver or you have cork in your butt with heavy thoughts. But as soon as you let go of them and get present in the present moment, they fall to the bottom of the of the lake and you and the cork in your butt takes you back to the surface i'd never heard it that way but it makes a whole bunch of sense that the fatigue is really more about the overthinking and the overstressing and the overwhelming you're trying to push down something that is natural and it's exhausting it takes a lot of resources to keep something so powerful down i know because when when my son was born for two years i think i was really stuck in that and right. was seriously fatigued for many, right. many, many months. Like, and that's not discounting that a newborn baby is exhausting. You know, it's exhausting to care for. But there, depending on your level of understanding, you will go through that with more grace, or you will take yourself down into a postpartum depression, and and which can be very severe. And and there is no difference in the. Um, the bio, the uh, endocrine changes that occur in people who become there's massive changes, but there's no changes in the ones of people who go through that gracefully versus the ones who become postpartum depressed. Could it's like say, there's, no, there's no difference between that. Pardon me. Could you say that again? Yeah, I'll say it this way. Also, at the and it's nice because women can't so. Um, they can't stone me on the Zoom here. So, <laughs> <laughs> the heads of the National Institute of Health at uh, Bethesda years ago, and they've confirmed it over. I just saw a thing. There is no difference in the hormonal changes that occur with people that have severe premenstrual symptoms, emotional and physical symptoms, and those that have none. There is no difference in the changes that are occurring. And it's the same with childbirth. And I have had a number of women who had severe premenstrual symptoms for 15 and 20 years that once they got incremental levels of peace of mind, they literally disappeared. I had one lady, she was a president of a company, a very powerful um, lady. And she said, for the first time in my life, the last two months, I didn't realize that my flow was coming until it occurred. Could it be that I'm feeling more peaceful? I said, what do you think? (laughs) Since then, I've seen that over and over and over again. That's so fascinating because I've found that to be true too, actually. Yeah, very much so. So Go ahead. No, 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 go for it. No, no, but just so one time a few months later, she got symptoms about 20% of what it used to be, but she used it as an alarm system. She got quiet and she realized, yeah, I've gotten stewing about this and that in my life that I, that I don't feel in control of, that I want to be in control of. And she realized her 20% symptoms was trying to get her attention. You don't have to do this to yourself. And if people know that there's a wisdom beyond the intellect, call it divine mind, call it universal mind, whatever, that if we, that is playing 24-7, giving wisdom that we need it we don't have we don't have to ask for it it's being given 24 7 like a flute or a um or a harp 
but you can't hear a flute or a harp if you've got a marching band playing in your head, trying to figure it out. <laughs> it's really yeah. difficult. And as somebody that's actually been through that, it's yeah. it going to happen. <laughs> no, no, it's very, very difficult. But it's interesting because when I did go through that moment of, I took a, I took some sleeping pills mm-hmm. when I was about 21 and um, I was lying in bed waiting for them to take effect. And I suddenly heard this voice and I didn't realize at the time that that's what had happened because I didn't know, I didn't know how to kind of you yeah. know, voice or point to what we're sharing here today. Yeah. Yeah. And it was really clear to me what I needed to do. So Mm. the boys told me what to do, go downstairs, tell someone what you've done and then go to the hospital. And um, years later, when I was sharing that story, it suddenly occurred to me that that wisdom, even at my darkest hour, had actually pulled me out and showed me what I needed to do so clearly, so succinctly, so beautifully, so gracefully that... um, that yeah, it saved my life. See, and it was trying to get through to you long before that. I know. But once you did what you did, once you did what you did, Marina, you quit thinking about it so much because you'd done, you'd, you'd, you'd came up with your solution. So your mind quieted just enough for wisdom to come through and say, eh, that's not the, that's not the solution. Here's, you know, gets a, Right. But but it was because your mind had had quieted enough because you'd done what you did. That's what happens in in drug trials. That's that's why there's a 40 percent placebo response in antidepressant trials. Not because the people believe they don't know whether they they know there's a 50 percent chance than they mean. But they've done what they're they've done something. They've joined a trial. And so they they let go of their thinking to X degree and mental well-being comes comes marching through. That's it's amazing. That, it's that simple. You know. so I, I'm going to need to go pretty quick yeah. here, but is this helpful? Yeah, super helpful, Bill. So okay. I'm on your course at the moment, which I'm really, really enjoying, um, which is the Mind-Body Connection course, which I find absolutely yeah. fascinating. Um, if anybody wants to kind of contact you, connect with you, resonated massively on this one, how can they do that? Well, they can, they can go, it's probably easiest to do um, the doctorspettit.com, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, Bill, Bill, I guess it's Bill at the doctorspettit.com. I will be honest with you, um, I'm, I'm probably going to be doing groups or making uh, some thing where people can uh, get four or five people together because I, I woke up this morning early and I really think that it's time I... I'm I'm trying to fit in writing 40 minutes here, 40 minutes here. And I am probably going to, uh, I'm going to be gone from October 2nd until November 7th when we come back from Spain, from Viva. And then I think from November 7th till the end of January, I'm probably not going to be scheduling new patients, except for I'm going to put a rate up there that's going to be probably sound bigger, but I'm going to say, get if you get three three other people, then it won't be so big, you know. Yeah. So it might be like six or seven hundred dollars. But if if you get four or five people, then it'll be one hundred and forty, one hundred fifty dollars, because because I want to to you know I'm not going to live forever. I know that I'm, I still feel good, 
but I need to get this. I need to get the books written. Yes, and you I do. Need, yes, you do. How many? And, yeah. How so, many? Well, I don't know, uh, but I, yeah, I think as you've listened to those videos, the first one will be one cure, one, one cause, one cure, or one, one cause, one remedy. Maybe cure will frighten people. And then stories of hope, anxiety disorders, stories of hope, uh, depressive disorders, stories of hope, PTSD, stories of hope, addictive disorders, stories of hope, psychotic disorders, stories of hope, personality disorders. I've got 36 years of them. Yeah, and, and I can share them, not just the stories, but to show, to point to the principles of how, how, they, how, they, how they resonate with that. Uh, physical things, uh, people, people, and it's not about blaming yourself for any physical maladies you have, but your body is always trying to give you information. It's trying to give every one of us information. And the more at peace you are, the more your body will be able to keep you healthy. Yeah, I've definitely seen that in the last six months, year, um, that, uh, I have more energy now than I ever did. And that's, of course, I'm with my son. (laughs) (laughs) Well, five-year-old takes a lot of energy. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. So I have to have a different itinerary when he's around. So thank you so much. Um, It's been such an honor and a pleasure. And I'm so glad we finally got to do this because we've been circling for about six months, I think. But we finally made it. So thank you so much for coming. It was so beautiful to share this space with you. And for everybody that was listening, until the next time, bye-bye for now. And there we have it, another amazing episode of The Joy of Being. If you enjoyed this podcast, you may well enjoy the book as well. You can either download a free chapter, www.marinapearson.com slash chapter, where I go into much more depth into how we can create more time and space as mum. And if that doesn't fly and you're more curious about getting the entire book, then you can do that too at www.marinapearson.com slash book. Until the next time, remember, you are the joy you seek.